Morning, everyone. How we doing? Great, good, okay, good. I think I heard bad from somebody. We are in the right place, yeah. Let's, yes, let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you're new to the Bible, first four books in the New Testament. John chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 35 through 51 together, and then going back through it during the message. Typically, I like to do that because, I mean, it's great if you guys read it during the week. It's great if you read it before church, but I want that actual Word of God to have contact with your minds and hearts as much as possible. Um, we prepare hard to preach. We, we study, um, but it is this that has the power, not me. So let's read, starting in verse 35, as Jesus calls the first disciples. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, or rock. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, or said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, it seems good to the Holy Spirit to take time this part of the year to focus intently on the coming, the advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, a time that 
your people waited for, for centuries. And now, according to eyewitnesses, we have the account of his coming. And we wait for his second advent, his second coming. We have much in common with uh, uh, our brothers and sisters from the Old Testament. Lord, from the first century, for they were waiting and we are waiting. We pray, Lord, that we would wait with patience, with faith, with confidence, with assurance, and that as we examine the coming of Jesus, the incarnation, the next four weeks, Lord, that you would take us deeper through the Gospel of John into that marvelous mystery, into this incredible reality of God becoming flesh, God retaining your divinity fully and truly, and yet taking on humanity fully and truly. What a beautiful mystery. And Lord, without it, we have no hope. So we pray that you would focus our minds now on your word, that you would speak to us as you would see fit, Holy Spirit, that those who are gathered here, those who are hearing this, Lord, it is no accident. And so my prayer is that I could get out of the way, Lord, and let you speak, that you speak, and that our hearts would be ready. Our ears would be open. Our eyes would be clear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we move further into the Gospel of John, uh, we see the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. This is the beginning. He's, he's been baptized. Um, God has said, this is my son who I am well pleased, not in John's Gospel, but in other Gospels. We know that. And this is the beginning of, of what we know as Christianity, which is the largest religion in the world. Billions of people profess to be Christians right now, today. Uh, thousands of churches are meeting. The greatest movement in the history of the world. And, and this is kind of how it started. Humble, simple, understated. John the Baptist is talking about Jesus, which is what he loves to do most. And so people are walking by, they hear him talking, and they follow Jesus. And then their lives are changed. They see, they, they testify that he is the Son of God. They tell other people they follow Jesus. That's kind of how it works. Not exactly the strategy you would expect for the greatest movement in the history of the world. No launch party. No big post, no, you know, um, not a lot of dollars being spent on this launch, okay? And yet, here we are. What seems impossible to us in our day, this, there's no way this could happen. There's no way. This is the greatest movement in the history of the world. This is how it starts. Some slightly off guy preaching about Jesus out in the wilderness. And yet, this is exactly how God likes to work, what seems impossible to us. So we know it's supernatural. We know it is not of man. Otherwise, it would not have worked. It would not have, if you got If you get the best consultants in the room uh, today and say, okay, we want to build a movement. This is not the strategy. This is not what they're going to tell you. And yet, this is what happened and is happening and will happen 
because it's from God. Because it's divine. Because it's supernatural. Because it's miraculous. In this simple account, there's so much for us. So much for following Jesus, sharing Jesus, coming to know Jesus. And we want to dig into it. So short introduction, might be a long sermon. We'll see. We have nothing after this, do we? I can just keep, okay. Four aspects of what it means to follow Jesus. Number one, Jesus doesn't follow you. Jesus doesn't follow you. Verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus, and as he walked by, said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Skip down to verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Some people expect Jesus to follow them. They think Christianity doesn't require any change. You know, I'm, uh, I just put my Jesus bumper sticker on the car and keep driving in the same direction. I'm a Christian. I haven't changed directions at all, but I'm affiliating with Jesus going the direction that I want to go. You're not following Jesus. He's going in the other direction. If you haven't changed, if you haven't submitted your life to Him, you're expecting Him to follow you to support your selfishness. That's not what He does. That's not what it means to follow Him. Why would you do that? Why would you affiliate with Jesus when you have no intention of following Him, when you're not following Him? Because you want Him on your team. You want success in your life instead of failure. You want a good family, not a bad family. You want to, uh, uh, you know, be thought well of in the community and not thought badly of. And if, hey, I'm a part of a church, well, that helps. I prefer to go to heaven and not hell. I don't think anyone you're going to ask is going to say, you know, please, let me go to hell. They're going to prefer heaven, but they're going to try to get there, many people, without actually submitting and following Jesus. Jesus, I like your name. I like your brand. But I'm in charge. I'm driving. You can sit in the back seat. That's cool. But we're going this way. That's what I want to do. That's where I want to go. Don't expect me to change. Can't teach this dog, this old dog new tricks. This happens a lot in cultural Christianity. You tracking with what I mean by that? It's just a part of the culture. It's just what you do. It's just normal. You're a Christian. Of course. Somebody asks you, where do you go to church? Oh, yeah, well, we go to church. We don't make it as much as we, we'd like to, but we have a lot of that around here. I go to church. I believe in God. I bring my kids to Sunday school, but I don't follow Jesus. I don't intend to repent of my sins. I'm not looking to be persecuted. I don't really want to suffer for his name. I don't really apologize to people. It's just not something I do. I don't admit that I'm wrong. It just makes me uncomfortable. 
I'm not submitted to his word. I don't enjoy his word. I don't care deeply about the salvation of other people. I don't follow Jesus. He follows me. Friend, you're not a Christian. And you are blaspheming the name of Christ by saying you are. You are blaspheming the name of Christ by saying you are. So please, come and die. Come and fall on your knees and repent. Come and serve. But stop lying to yourself and lying to the world, saying you're a Christian when you're not. Stop the charade. Tell the truth. In fact, I reject Jesus. In fact, I have no intention of following him. In fact, I have no intention of changing. For me, he's a get-out-of-hell-free card. That's all he is. This is the living God you're playing with. Saying that, well, I'm taking his name on my lips. And yet I have no intention of following him because I don't want to change. I'm going my own direction. I'm doing my own thing. I like his name. I like his brand for what it gets me. But I'm not serious. Real Christians change because they're following Jesus. He's going in the other direction from where you were going. You have to turn and follow him. Everybody is walking to hell. Freely, willingly, happily. And to follow means to turn and change and go away from selfishness towards selflessness. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's not affiliating with Christianity. It's bowing to Jesus. This is what happens to the disciples. And there is one who affiliates with Jesus, but doesn't bow to Jesus. Where is he right now? Very serious. We, we, we go along, get along, we're all nice to each other. Very serious. I challenge you. Jesus doesn't follow you. You follow Jesus. Whatever that means, wherever that takes you. Number two, come and see. Come and see. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? This is such a brilliant question, by the way. If you're in a conversation with someone about God, this is a great question to ask. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? Whatever they say, that will tell you a lot about where their heart is, if they're serious, if they're open, and you can go from there. You can, okay, I'm looking for this. Okay, well, you know, here's how Jesus meets that. Here's how he meets that need. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Basically, we want to talk to you more. We're genuinely interested. He said to them, come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him for a day, for it was about the tenth hour. This is the same thing Philip says to Nathaniel, come and see. 
In regard to sharing our faith, we, we often focus on go and tell, which we absolutely should. That's important. We do that. Go. Great Commission says. Share the gospel. Make disciples. Absolutely. Get into those conversations. But this is not the only way that you can share your faith. Don't forget about come and see. Come and see. It is powerful. You all can do it. I know we feel inadequate in our evangelism a lot of times, getting the words out right, and it's a struggle. Keep working on that. But also, no, you can ask people, you can invite people to come and see. Come and see. I'm being baptized. You're going to see a baptism. You're going to see the gospel. You don't have to necessarily explain a lot. You just come and see. We ask kids when we baptize them to invite a friend from school, someone that doesn't, you know, isn't a Christian. Just come and see. Invite people into your home. Come and see Jesus in our home. Because everything's perfect in your home, right? That's how people see Jesus. Stop thinking that way. Broken, messy, but there's love. There's warmth. There's joy. There's energy of the Spirit. Come, let's, let's take a walk. Let's just see how you're doing. Pray with you. That's the love of Jesus. Simple. Come to church. Come to church. You're going to see Jesus in a lot of different ways. And I'll just say, none of you are here by accident today. None of you are, are, are God called you here. God brought you here. You've come. Whatever the reason, you're encountering the living God today. You are seeing him. You're experiencing him. You're, don't waste that. He has you here for a reason, to taste and see that he is good. Come and see. Come and see what this is all about. I mean, it might be really weird to you. Baptism might be really weird to you. What are they doing? Is this person okay? Are you okay? Bring them up quicker. I'm a little nervous. And, and that's great. Ask those questions like, what the heck are you guys doing? Let me tell you. You know how you take a shower, you take a bath, you get clean? It's kind of like that. Except in a moral sense. Jesus cleanses us of our sins. That's what you saw. Marriages. People see Christian spouses, okay, loving each other, caring about each other, forgiving each other, dating each other, holding hands even. Okay, that, that's as all the husbands are like, does this count right now? Do I get some points here? He said it. I did it. People see that. They notice. They're watching, guys. They're watching. Are they seeing Jesus? Carrie and I were engaged. Uh, an older couple in our life invited us over for dinner. And um, we were a little intimidated because we were in our mid-20s and you're just, you don't know anything and you're intimidated of uh, older people who are mature and like poised and solid. But we were also curious. I particularly was curious um, what this was going to be like. What, what was I wanted to observe what, what this couple was like. And so I watched very creepily, I just looked. Why are you looking at me like that? No, no reason. But I, I, I was noticing things. I was paying attention. I was curious, and I noticed a lot. I noticed how at ease they were with each other as a couple. 
They were playful, but respectful. They teased each other. They, they, you know, they joked with each other. They didn't take themselves too seriously, but they honored each other. I noticed them talking about going on dates, going on vacations together. I noticed how they asked us questions and then listened to the answers and then asked a follow-up question. Can you imagine that? You want to know if somebody really wants to know what you think or understand you? Do they ask a follow-up question? I noticed that when we shared something hard and personal, they stopped and they prayed for us right then. I had never seen a Christian do that. It was very strange. They offered us an adult beverage without being pushy. I had never heard a Christian do that. I was like, excuse me, what? a beer? That's different. That was cool. It was just a general feel of love and grace and warmth in the home. And Carrie and I got in the car, and we looked at each other, and we were like, that was amazing. We want to be like that. Can we be like that? Can we love people like that? Can we have a marriage like that? They didn't have to sit us down and tell us what to do. They showed us. They showed us. They talked about God. They were who they were, but in a very natural, authentic way. It wasn't forced. It wasn't pushy. It wasn't, well, we're, we're Christians and we're all very serious all the time, so sit down. We have something we'd like to talk to you about. It was just like life. And when you invite people into that life, it's powerful. It is powerful. And we're, they're mentors to this day, good friends. Uh, uh, the husband was the one who said to me very point blank, bruh. It's not what he said, but, I, you know, I'm updating the language, bruh. What are you doing not proposing to this girl from New York? What is wrong with you? It's a good question. I don't have a good answer. I'll go ahead and do that uh, when I get home. <laughs> Very thankful for them. Yes, go and tell people about Jesus, but also don't underestimate. Come and see. Come and see. Number three, you have a new horizon. What does it mean to follow Jesus? You have a new horizon. Verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah. He brought him to Jesus. You see what Andrew did? So simple. Come and see what I've seen. You know, the main people, the, the main way people get saved is friend to friend, person to person, brother to brother, sister to sister. This is how it happens, person to person, just, just sharing. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, no one can do this but Jesus. Am I right? <laughs> oh, your name's Simon? Now it's Peter. I, I couldn't do that. If I tried to get away with it, oh, hi, your name's Jackie. You shall be called Margaret. Oh, you don't like that name? Too bad. 
That's your new name. It doesn't work. She doesn't accept it. I can see it right now. But Peter, strangely, is like, okay, okay, my name's Peter. This is the authority of Jesus. He just speaks things into existence. Yeah, you're Peter now. Why? Because it's a new life. He's not Simon anymore. He's not Saul anymore. This is Peter now. This is Paul. It's a new life. Meeting Jesus does not make you a nicer version of yourself. You are a new creation, friend. You are something altogether new. You, something that did not exist, your spiritual life, was brought into existence by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Like the world didn't exist and is brought in by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. That's what you are. That's who you are. And you have to think of yourself that way or else you'll be way too comfortable with the old you. If you don't think of yourself as new, you'd be, well, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really bother me that I do those old things and that, I, that I used to do that I know are wrong. You have to think of yourself as new. Ephesians 4, Paul puts it this way. Put off your old self. You have an old self which belongs to your former manner of life. And is corrupt through deceitful desires. Your desires deceived you as natural as they felt. Deceiving. Put on the new self. Created in what, in what likeness or, or, or what, what do you like as a new creation? After the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You are holy, so be holy. You are righteous, so be righteous. That's who you are. You're not mainly a sinner anymore. You're a saint. Like Simon Peter, your life is going in a new direction, one step at a time, following Jesus. And here's, here's the thing about Jesus. He doesn't just see who you are. He sees who you can become. Jesus does not just see you as you are, which he does, take you as you are. He sees you as you can become. He's taking you somewhere, a new horizon. He's going to make sure you get there, but he wants you to buy in along the way. He wants you to choose. He wants you to say yes, to take one step, then another, then another. What's the next step for you? What's the next step in your Christian life? What's the next step of obedience, the next step of faith, the next step of going toward that great goal of glory that Jesus has you on the path toward? I would just say, married couples, you need to think like this toward your spouse. Not only seeing who they are, who they were, but who they can be. The horizon. What are the strengths that can be cultivated? What are the weaknesses that can be patiently addressed? What are the gifts that need cultivating that you can help with? What are the sins that need to be put to death that you need to speak the truth in love? Be helpful to each other. You are the primary instrument of sanctification in each other's life. Be that. That's what God intends. Help each other. Move that way. This is Peter's first step of discipleship, and it's kind of dramatic, isn't it? Jesus doesn't give everybody a new name. He gives them a new life. He doesn't always tell them you have a new name. 
True or false, Peter's life is pretty dramatic. That's, that's not a hard question. This is true. Okay, his life is very dramatic. Big highs, big lows. Um, he's got a lot going on. And you think he's just a dramatic guy. He's just an intense guy. He's a passionate guy. What I want you to remember is this. Not every Christian's testimony is dramatic, but everyone is miraculous. Not every Christian's testimony is off the charts dramatic, but every single one is miraculous. Don't we tend to elevate the dramatic? I mean, I think it's part of our, like, fame culture or just, I don't know. Like, we like a reality show testimony. And we elevate that. We, we think of that as somehow better. I was on drugs. I was wandering the streets. I killed like seven people. I can't remember. I killed so many people. And I fell into a gutter. And in the gutter was a Bible tract. And I picked it up. And I read it. From that day on, I was clean. And I followed Jesus. Trevor, that's the person to invite to youth group to speak. That's your speaker. And I, I'm joking, but obviously we, we praise God for those testimonies because I know some of you have them. And that's your testimony. Praise God. That's amazing. What we have to stop doing is thinking of them as better. They're not better. They're different. They're dramatic. Praise God. But they're not better. They're not more miraculous. Then I got brought to church by my parents, and I heard the gospel, and I believed. I've been Christian since I was five. It's miraculous. It's miraculous. Parents, how many of you want a boring testimony from your kids? Yeah. Yep. How many of you would not like to get a call from the police at some point? We all. I mean, well, some of us are, and that's okay. Okay, we're going to work through that. But this is what we hope. Dull, boring testimony. That was me, nine years old, saved, baptized in a pool at the YMCA. Not real dramatic. Um, I was the kid who was like, Lord, please forgive me for dribbling the ball off my foot in the fourth quarter. I'm sorry I did that. I did not mean to do that. Please forgive me for thinking about punching my brother. I shouldn't have thought that thought. Please forgive me for liking The Simpsons so much, you know. It's so hard. I know I shouldn't, but it's so witty and funny. And I, I had a very sensitive conscience. I was very sensitive. I was very, you know, I wasn't drinking, smoking, having sex. I was looking at pornography. I, I wasn't. Thank God. Praise God. Glory to God. It's a miracle. And I heard these dramatic testimonies, and I feel like maybe mine is not that great. Like, what's wrong with me? I would, I would diminish it when I would tell people. I would downplay it like, yeah, you know, I, I don't really have much to say. I just kind of like went to church, and I heard the gospel, and I believed, and I, I, you know, I love Jesus. And, but, you know, it's other people. You should go as though I was less a sinner than those other people, as though I was less dead than the other dead people. How can you be less dead? I wasn't. I was dead completely. 
lying at the bottom of the ocean, and God came on a rescue mission for me. He just chose to do it early, to spare me from so much pain and to spare others from so much pain. Praise God. Every Christian is a resurrection. Every Christian is a miracle. And we have to stop thinking some are better than others. Some stories are better than others. So if that's you, if you're like me, share with confidence that this was a miracle. Not that this was kind of a, you know, minor resuscitation. It's a resurrection every time. You have a new horizon, a totally different life than what you would have had from the time that you met Jesus. You're going a different direction, and you know that. If you didn't meet Jesus, where would you be? Not good. Number four, you will see great things. What does it mean to follow Jesus? You will see great things. Verse 44, now Philip was from Bethsaida. The city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathaniel. Now, most think this is probably Bartholomew. I've never been great with knowing all the disciples, all the apostles, but one of the 12, we think this is probably one of the 12. He just went by a different name, Nathaniel, okay, but seems to be associated with Philip, and Bartholomew is always associated with Philip. Philip says to Nathaniel, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> um, I want you to think of a town that you enter and leave in the span of 10 seconds. That's Nazareth. You know, the speed trap, it's like 65 to 20 in three seconds. That's Nazareth. Where everybody goes to the gas station on Friday night, that's Nazareth. Okay? This is where Jesus was raised. This is where he grew up. Now, a little Bible trivia, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem, yeah. Bethlehem famous. City of kings near Jerusalem. Nazareth, way up north. Out in the sticks. This is, the, this is prophesied in the Old Testament. The Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. Nothing in the Old Testament about Nazareth. Now, which one does Jesus choose to be identified with? Jesus of Nazareth. Bingo. No one said Jesus of Bethlehem. <laughs> just, just right over the mouth. Just. It's Parenting 101. You just go for it. Oh, you can't breathe? Sorry. Shouldn't have said anything. I think it's very intentional that Jesus identifies himself in his ministry with Nazareth. Because greatness comes out of weakness. Something comes out of nothing. He could have said Jesus of Bethlehem if he wanted to really, I am the king. But he didn't. He didn't. Jesus of Nazareth. So this is a very natural thing for Nathaniel to ask. Like, what? Nazareth? He lived in the same area. It would be like a town around here. I'm not going to say any town names, okay? I don't offend anyone. But you might be like, really? From that town? Because you know it. He knows it. 
Makes perfect sense. And yet Jesus doesn't run away from it. Yeah, Jesus of Nazareth, that's who I am. That's where I'm from. Nazareth didn't even like Jesus. He tried to throw him off a cliff. Okay, won't go there. Philip said to him, come and see. Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. So there's a purity of heart. There's Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So Jesus is showing his omniscience. Nobody could have known that. I was alone under the fig tree. You weren't there. It was hours ago. How did you know that? Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? I feel like Jesus' tone here is like playful, gentle. You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Here's the big idea. God shows you he's real. God shows you he's real. He shows you great things. He gives, he gives Nathaniel, he gives the disciples something tangible to hold on to. I knew you were under a fig tree. That's like a, like a really minor See, that, that was not hard for Jesus, okay? That was a softball. I'm going to show you even greater things. You're going to see so many miracles. You're going to see things that you can't, you, you, there's no way to explain other than I am the Son of God. Confirmation. That's the big idea. So what I want you to take away is that we are not a people of blind faith. This is a common misconception of Christians, of Christianity, it's just, well, you know, if that works for you, it's just sort of a blind faith. You're asking to believe in something you've never seen. You never know. You don't know. How do you know? No. We believe in a God who acts in history, who changes things, who transforms, who does miracles. He shows us who He is. He shows us He's real. His power, His grace. He doesn't say, well, just believe just because, because I said so. Here's the evidence. A friend of mine was talking with someone recently who they were expressing doubts about their faith. They were struggling. They were wrestling. They were unsure. And they were asking my friend, how do you know this is real? How do you know the Bible is the word of God? I mean, come on, wasn't it corrupted? Or uh, How do you know? And my friend said, honestly, it's the best explanation I have for everything I've seen. I have things in my life that I can't explain apart from Jesus is real. He said, I didn't just make myself, will myself to be a nicer person. Something happened to me. Something changed me. I can't explain going to church and what happens in church and the, what I feel and what I experience there. I can't explain it unless God is real. Unless Jesus is real. I can't explain what I see in other Christians. This person who was like this, and now they're like this. It's a great answer. You have those things in your life you cannot explain apart 
from God is real. Amen? You can't explain it. It is the most logical, rational, sensible thing. He must be real because I can't explain this any other way. How did it happen? Incremental changes. I mean, yeah, there's the big things, there's the big moments, but incremental changes. Think about those. You get angry maybe once a day instead of 30 times a day, which is what you used to be like. You give in to lust once a month instead of five times a day. How do you explain that? It's not a self-help book. It's not, you know, therapy. Because those changes are always temporary, or if they last, they're not at the heart level. They're behavior. And we celebrate those in a general sense for people in their lives, but God wants something more. God wants something more. And you cannot deny if you're a Christian, that there have been those moments and those incremental changes in your life. I just think about the character of God and how good he is. He's not a monster who says, you just got to believe it because I said it. He gives you evidence. He shows you again and again and again. Look what he does for the disciples. He shows them. And so our job is to be on the lookout, to see it, to notice it, to pay attention, because that's how your faith is strengthened. When you see even small things that this would not have happened if God wasn't real. This is how we get home. This is how we walk with Jesus over a a long obedience in a new direction. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your manifold wisdom, your lavish grace in our lives. I pray, Lord, that any here today who have not tasted, experienced that you are good, that they would, and that you'd be merciful to them, that you would open their mind, open their heart, to at least be curious, to come and see who you are and what you're about. Lord, we pray now that our faith would be encouraged by coming and seeing the baptism. New life. Lives changed forever by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. It is in his name we pray. Amen. We have a few moments just to read the testimonies, take a breath, and then we'll have our baptisms.